Hello, everybody, and welcome back to this week's edition of the About to Review podcast, here to amplify diverse voices in media. I'm your host, as always, that guy named John. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on your podcast platform of choice. It is listed everywhere. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and you can also stream the episodes directly from the website abouttreview.com. Make sure to follow the podcast on social media at About Review, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and also youtube.com slash about to review. On this week's episode, there will be three movie reviews, The Lighthouse, Black and Blue, and The Current War. And joining me on this adventure is a fellow film critic and uh, master of the radio arts himself, <laughs> Mr. Adam Gerke. Welcome to the show. Woohoo! <laughs> so we will get yeah. into a little getting to know uh, Adam, because yeah, he uh, he has been around the block and these radio waves and TV waves for quite a few years. So yeah, you, you have a lot of experience. The, the, yeah, stories to be told. Yeah. Yes, yeah. absolutely. So we'll get into that right after the intro, and that intro is done by Damon Randall of Ill Mannered Media. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. So as I mentioned, this is the getting to know you, Uh, Adam Gerke edition. Let's do it. (laughs) So first, tell the people where you currently are. (laughs) Uh, Okay. Uh, So where I work, uh, my life is split in two worlds. I do Mm -hmm. work in radio and I do work in television. And so the the majority, the lion's share, the bread and butter of what I do is all done uh, on television nowadays, and that's over at KCPQ Q13 Studios here in Seattle. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I am the uh, I am the traffic anchor or the tra- transportation. Uh, I don't know exactly what they slate me. Yeah, they uh. <laughs> they have like, the traffic expert or whatever they want to mm-hmm. call me. I don't know. Uh, but I, I've been doing traffic reporting and transportation reporting here in the Seattle market for twenty one years. Uh, 21, 22, 21 or 22, many. It's, it's to the mm-hmm. point now where it's, it's legal enough for, for that, that job to drink, and I've <laughs> right. kind of lost track. Uh, but I've, I've done work on, on uh, KCPQ for 16 years now, which makes me officially the person on the morning show, and I actually have had that for the title for, I've been on the morning show longer than anybody else in the entire building. Wow. Uh, there's actually, no, on air, there are a few production folks who've been there a little bit okay. longer than me. Um, but, some board uh, ops who have been there for 40 right, years. Right, camera, some of the camera guys and some of the folks who, uh, you know, run the boards and things like that. Exactly. Um, but uh, there, there are, there's only one other person who's been on air at the station, no, two longer, but Really, it's like, yeah, you, <laughs> we are few and far between. So I've done a, a lot of work on KCPQ, and uh, I also do work on 88.5 uh, KNKX, which is a public radio station here in Seattle and heard all around the world at knkx.org. Uh, again, doing traffic and news information on KNKX. And that's all actually done. The guise of that is that's all done. I'm a contractor, mm-hmm. and I work for a company called Total Traffic and Weather Network, which used to be known as Metro Networks, which <laughs> that's a whole story in and of itself. 
but um, Total Traffic Weather Network contracts out a number of folks here in the Seattle area over the, you know, there's there's about 26 employees and we service about 30 stations here in the Seattle market. Sheesh. So w- if you hear a traffic report or a news report on a station here in the Seattle area, there's a very good chance it's one of us who's behind the mic on that. Um, and uh, that is the, the company that I actually work for, but it is transparent to the end user, right? Right. So, um, but my, my career has also, in many instances, had me working for the various stations, not only as a contractor, but as their employee as well. Uh, over the, you know, the many years, I've, I've done work on um, a whole host of All stations. All sorts of yeah. airwaves, be they TV yeah. and radio. And radio, yeah. But the, the original home was radio, but now it's television. And uh, the way I describe it is TV is the is the new wife, right? It's the it's the second wife that I have. The first wife was radio, and she still had custody of the kids on the weekends. <laughs> or I had custody of the kids on the weekends because I did weekends on, on mm. KPLU for uh, 10 years. Um, and, and then uh, now the kids are off in college, and now it's pretty much just me and the second wife TV. So. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. No, yeah, I mean, that's that's the, to continue the, the analogy. Yeah, so. I mean, it definitely makes sense. And you have been, like I said, on air one way or another, mm-hmm. or both at the same time. Yeah. For this, you know, twenty-one year career, yeah. twenty-two year career. Yeah. When did you first realize whether it was something you saw or something you heard yeah. that this was the path that you wanted to go down? Well, and and to be fair, I mean the. So the, the 21, 22 years is professionally doing it. Before that, though, my, my career in radio started back in high school. And mm. so here, I, I grew up in the Seattle area here, and in, that was in the 90s. And in the 1990s here in Seattle, the music scene, as one might there, guess, there was, was a lot going there was, on. <laughs> there was something happening here. Mm-hmm. And everybody was in a band. Everybody was in a band. Right. Everybody had long hair, and I had long hair, and mm-hmm. I played in bands. But I also was smart enough to realize that there was no chance, I mean, that anything that I was ever going to do musically in a band, as much as I wanted it to be, that was never going to really amount to much. So there was a way I could stay close to the music and and be involved with the music, and that was perhaps through radio, because at least then I could still have my finger on the pulse of what was happening musically. Um, And and so that started when I was about 17, and I got an internship at KISW here in town, 99.9. Hmm. Um, the music director, Kathy Faulkner, took me under her wing and she started showing me the ropes. So I started learning about radio at 17 and then continued that through college, getting involved in college radio and then working for some stations down in Tacoma, uh, some AM stations. And then when I graduated college, University of Puget Sound, go loggers. Um, <laughs> Wait, is that their mask? The yeah, we're the, we're the loggers. Okay. Hack them, right. hack em, chop them, chop them. Uh, yeah, <laughs> okay. go loggers, go. And uh, and so when I graduated college, then the transition into radio here in Seattle, uh, that was, I mean, that was the, the goal. And for me, the, I had zero interest in going into television. Hmm. Um, it was all it was all about radio. And and if you would have asked uh, 17-year-old me, 18-year-old me, hey, what do you think about TV? I, I would have looked at you cross-eyed. I've been like, no way. Those are the vapid people that have nothing in their heads. To, they don't think for themselves. They don't write their own words. Those are the squares, man. Right. Exactly. <laughs> right? And, and so radio was where it was at because you could be close to the music. You were in control of your own destiny. You know, it was mm-hmm. manifest destiny. And, and in radio, that's very true where you run your own board in mo- many instances. You yeah. control your own sound effects. You control your own intro music. You control everything. And so for control freaks, it's really good. But when you get to television... There is that um, 
it's a team effort. It's mm-hmm. no longer a solo effort. Yep. And so now there's a camera person and a this and a that and an audio person and a producer. And then there's you standing with the camera that's 10 feet away. It's very impersonal. Right. Um, and making that transition was a, a strange one. But again, the beginning for me, though, was all radio. And I was really fascinated by that and the music scene alone. Um, and for some odd reason, too, when I was uh, 17, 18, for some reason, and <laughs> misguided youth, um, I had this this dream that being on the radio was a way to meet women, and mm-hmm. nothing could be further from the truth. Right. I mean, especially at that point when yeah. everybody is in a band. Right. They're do you, all. Do in you the, think? Yeah. Like, do you think that the women, you know, in the '90s or whatever, were like, "Oh, that guy on the guitar, the guy on the drums." Oh, do you hear the guy on the radio, radio. the other day? Yeah. No. no nobody. No. <laughs> and and there there may have and if that was happening, that didn't def- that didn't stop the fact that you were basically I would have probably be even better served by a 10-year prison sentence because you're in a 10 by 10 square booth with mm-hmm. not a soul within reach. The closest person that you have is a telephone. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's it, so the the world of, of trying to meet women through radio is a, a, a glaring mistake and a major oversight. But again, we're talking 17-year-old logic here. Mm-hmm. So uh, really, it was about the music, and but also girls and... Uh, you know, it worked out either way. You know, right. I got to meet all a bunch of cool people, and and I'm in a happy relationship. So you know, hey, win win, right? There so, you go. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, plus back then, you know, I have to ask with the long hair. This mm-hmm. is the '90s. How much plaid did you own? Quite a bit. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you didn't have flannel and Doc Martens, um, uh, strangely enough, the the high waisted jeans uh, seem to be in, on the comeback at this point, mainly for women. But uh, the men at the time, as high waisted jeans or baggy jeans, uh, I was looking through a bunch of photos just recently that were Oof. all, and uh, I didn't realize how ill fitting everything was. Yeah, like it, it is hard. Yeah. Like sometimes when you look back at certain eras of fashion, be it the eighties, nineties, or whatever, there are some nice things which obviously come back. But man, like yeah. as somebody who you know, grew up in the late 80s and 90s, I'm like, oof. Yeah. Like looking back at some of the 90s yeah. fashion is rough. Yeah. There was, I mean, I, I wear a medium t- t-shirt now, right? Mm-hmm. And that fits. <laughs> it, 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 18 year old, 19 year old me, if it wasn't an extra large, no way, mm-hmm. you know? And that was a, that was the 1990s extra large. That was, mm-hmm. you know, the beefy tee and it was huge and you were swimming in this thing. It, it didn't feel comfortable if it wasn't that. So, yeah. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, but at least at that point, you probably got to being in the radio world, yeah. see some of these people that then yeah. became much bigger, yeah. you know, either, you know, early into their career or even before their career. It always yeah. fascinates me when I talk to people who grew up in Seattle yeah, in the 90s, who remember seeing bands at the Crocodile and yeah. all these little shows yeah. with 50 people there, 75 people there. Yeah. Fast forward two years from that date. They are huge, and then now they are legends. Yeah, the the off ramp rock candy, the color box, uh, Deviate, uh, maybe it was Club Oz. Then I can't even remember the names of all these places at mm-hmm. this point. But yeah, I mean, it was uh, the OK Hotel was another venue, all ages venue, um, and getting a chance to see a lot of the bands coming up, getting to it, getting to see them play, hear them play, and watch that development was. And is still, it was a fascinating period of time when the spotlight was on us. Mm-hmm. And and even when the spotlight moved off, the scene was still bubbling for a little while. Yeah. Um, and that was also interesting to watch in its own right and also kind of watch it sort of cannibalize itself, too. That was the downside. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and now you have yeah. Eddie Vedder playing Benaroya Hall with his ukulele. Right. Yeah. 
So who'd have thought? Or uh, taking the stage, I think he took the stage with The Who the other night. So, yeah. So, you know, uh, so sure. And it's it's still great to see a, a lot of a lot of the big names out there. Um, but also along the lines, there was a, a period in my life where I hosted Metal Shop on KISW. Mm-hmm. And uh, I got to know some of the metal acts here in town. And some of the guys that I was meeting at the time, there was a band uh, here locally known as Nevermore. And got to know the guys in Nevermore really cool guys they've all gone on to do other things except for their lead singer who passed away about a year and a half Mm. ago um uh but all of them it was always it was the biggest conundrum to me because they would go to germany and they would sell out a fifty thousand seat arena you know or stadiums they're filling stadiums and you know people know them for you know miles around there isn't Mm -hmm. a soul in germany who doesn't know them or the netherlands or finland or you know you name it they come over to the States and they're busting tables. And it was just the strangest dichotomy for me mm-hmm. to put together in my head. It's like, how can you be this over there, but not this over here? And, uh, but I got to know them and, and you know, equally, that was uh, just kind of a fascinating thing to watch as well at the same time. So yeah, <laughs> I digress. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, I mean, since you have seen mm-hmm. all of this transpire, not just, you know, in the local scene and everything, but being, you know, national and everything from the media perspective be it the tools that you're using or just the media landscape what do you think has changed for the better Mm -hmm. and for the worse i think one of the things that's changed for the better it's also for the worse is our immediate access Mm -hmm. and the ability to do what we do Um, i mean this podcast is a perfect example of that Mm -hmm. doing a podcast now we can set up in someone's living room. You can set up an entire recording studio in someone's living room or their second bedroom or whatever, and and you have the access to those tools, and it's going to sound good. Right. You know that was something we couldn't do. You couldn't effectively do. I mean, I had, I had a four track to play with, you know, or a two track, just mm-hmm. a good old cassette. Deck, <laughs> right. You know, that was the kind of stuff that we were working with then, and and it sounded terrible. Um, so the access to the technology is, is something that is, is really, I think, really quite fantastic. Um, the, the, the double-edged nature to that, though, is because now it's so accessible and everyone can do mm-hmm. it and everyone and their dog is doing this and that and the other thing, the, the sheer amount of media that is being created, there's this tidal wave of it. Um, there will be, I would say, a course correction at some point where the good stuff rises to the top. Sure. And there are other things that just kind of get cast off to the wayside, and that's but that's the way everything always seems mm-hmm. to work. Um, we don't remember the, the the painter who painted on rocks, uh, you know, and and that adorned, uh, you know, gift shops across the country. But we remember Picasso and remember you know Rembrandt and remember right. you know the the bigs. We remember those things. That doesn't mean that the art that was created painted on that rock that was sold in that gift shop is any less impressive. It's mm-hmm. just that didn't carry as much weight yeah so to speak do you still have any of those old recordings from your shows oh tons of them yeah <laughs> i've got drawers full of dat cassettes <gasps> Ooh, and, boy. Uh, and and tape cassettes that are that are air check uh material uh and and sometimes i actually have to dig it out just to uh try and there have been times when it, it's been sort of hey would you be interested in this radio gig sure mm-hmm. um do you have any air checks current uh, uh well here's something from 20 years ago right. you know 
this was what I was doing then. And you handed you know, to the intern, yeah. you handed DAT cassette, and they're like, okay, yeah. what is this, what old is man? This? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in fact, I, I got a DAT deck from one of the stations that I work for that was just tearing apart a studio. They're like, we don't use this anymore. I'm like, yeah. I can use that. Mm-hmm. You know, pass it over this way. Um, yeah, finding some of the, the players for that equipment. Oh, I bet. That is... Um, that's a growing concern, at least for mm-hmm. a lot of the formats. Uh, mini disc, DAT, all those things that were in the, the oh, mini disc was yeah. supposed to take over. It was right. such a cool format, not just because that was, you know, coming off of the CD world when CDs were really cool, but you have this mini CD in a hard case, mm-hmm. and it was the coolest looking thing. I remember I knew one person yeah. who had one of those. Yeah. And it was incredible. Yeah. It was super, it, they were great. Um, and we used them a ton. Again, in the 90s. And then, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're <laughs> filling up landfills now. I yeah. mean, that's, I, I've got uh, another one that's a castaway from another station that was tearing out a studio. And they're like, here, do you want this? <laughs> yes, I do, as a matter of fact. Yeah. I've got some important stuff on there. Well, it is like, I always talk to my parents about it because when we got our first computer, mm-hmm. it was an Apple IIe. That's, yeah. That 1988. Was my, that was my, my, my family's first computer. Uh, and it was because my dad was getting his master's. Mm-hmm. At WSU, and so he needed a word processor. Yeah, Apple IIe was the first commercially available word processor with yeah. Word Juggler was Ooh. the program. Ooh, and so my parents have probably twenty to thirty five and a half inch floppy disks with his master's thesis and all this stuff. And I'm like, still to this day, still. And wow. I'm like, Dad, I need to take those to Seattle to like Living Computer Museum or somebody to be like. Yeah. Please digitize this because in a few years, A, nobody's going to know what the hell they are. And B, they're not going to have a way to get that to digital. And those 25 to 35 and a half floppies are going to take up like a megabyte. Right. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, minuscule amount. But it is that technology factor of being like, okay, who has the thing Mm -hmm. that can even read this and put it to something? Yep. So yeah, I have to, next time I'm back home, I need to rescue those and try and find some way to get them uploaded. You know, and this is something I think about too, when it comes to archival purposes. Mm -hmm. And I I know that like the EMP or now the uh, Mopop as they refer to it, Mm -hmm. this was something they were really having to think hard on when they first opened that place up um, nearly 20 years ago. How are we going to archive this music that we get in here? How are we going to archive this video? Because whatever we're doing we're kind of locking ourselves into yep. whatever technology is available at the time and quality that we can get. And mm-hmm. so they were the stuff at the time that they were trying to archive with was they were creating massive, massive files trying to get as as best as we can because we know technology is going to get better. But yeah. ah, you know, this is all we have. So well, in those um, format wars that mm-hmm. you know all of us remember. Mm-hmm. You know, I was still a little bit too young for the eight track format wars. Mm, yeah. But then it, I definitely remember the VHS and Betamax yeah. format wars. And then, uh, soup, was it super DVD and well, there's video disc. And that was, that was a big one too. That, right. That lasted for like a year, you know? <laughs> right. And, and yeah. And then there was the there was HD DVD, HD DVD and mm-hmm. then DVD. And then that battle went on for a while. And, uh, there was also, there was picture disc, video disc, uh, and, and then we went to the DVD and then this HD and then, yeah. Um, and, and now Blu-ray, right? And, but yeah. I remember even Blu-ray was a, a con, you know, like highly, mm-hmm. uh, highly battled fight. Well, and then 4K coming out, it just, it just fascinated me. And plus with your TV experience, mm-hmm. my other friends who worked in TV stations, 
gave me an interesting perspective, which was of the whole VHS and Betamax war, mm-hmm. Beta technically won because news stations yep. up until very recently yeah. are still using Beta. Yeah, even within the last 10 years. Yeah, which I, I agree. You know, and there was, and what we knew on the public side, there was, mm-hmm. you know, it was beta and VHS, and and people only knew just beta. Okay, right. But what I didn't know until I got into TV was there's there's beta SD, beta SX, oh, beta, sheesh. you know, <laughs> HD, beta HX. I mean, there there were all sorts of different formats that they had, and so depending on the cameras that they were using as well, or the mm. way the program format was being so uh, put together, there were different styles of, of beta that were still beta. Um, so even within its own, you know, world, it still had all these other little uh, variations. Um, and I, I only had to learn about that, um, specifically out of the fact that there was a a film that I was a a large hand in a number Mm -hmm. of years ago that I talk about every now and then it's the book of zombie. Um, I was going to ask one of my last questions is going to be, how do you kill a Mormon zombie? Yeah. Yeah. So so, we we can get to that too, but the book of zombie, we had to, or we, we'd gotten into the Edinburgh film film, film film festival Mm -hmm. and, um, we had to get our product to them in some way, shape or form. And at the time, flash drives were barely big enough to fit what we had. Oh Yeah. So the next best thing that we had, and they didn't want a DVD, because uh, we could send them a DVD, but mm-hmm. they wanted something that was even higher quality than DVD. So we ended up sending a Beta SP tape, which is a massive, massive tape that's it's like the size of, I don't know how a to A dinner tray? <laughs> yeah, it's like half a dinner tray or like a notepad. It's an enormous tape. And so we had to spin it off of uh, the computers that we were using at the time and and go digital to analog to to. I guess technically it was still analog at that point. It was beta. But uh, it was a much, much higher quality than what you were going to get out of a DVD, which had all the, the encoding and uh, decoding. So that when they <laughs> put it on a big right. you know, screen, it wouldn't look all chunky. So, it is just it is madness. Just yeah. how quickly those yeah. format things change yeah. and how the industry basically, yeah, like you said, with Mopop, yeah. you got to make a choice. Yeah. You know, at, at some point. Yeah. So, so from all of those experiences, you know, from starting at 17 Mm -hmm. before it was, you know, as professional, you know, as you do now, talk about those feelings of when you would first enter a studio to do something versus now. Oh, well, yeah. In the early days, I guess to sum up when you're young and you're having fun with it and you're just winging it, Mm -hmm. There's, it's, it's absolutely freeing. You know, the world is your oyster. You can say whatever you want. The college radio days are wild and crazy and, uh, you know, within limitation of what you can say, right? Mm-hmm. There's, there's certain things you can't say, but th- that was, um, th- those were sort of the animal house years. Those are the wild years. And then when you get to a, a commercial station, um, the, the, the show, the, there was a different mindset that went into it. It's like anything, you know, when you're learning to play uh, soccer as a kid versus mm-hmm. playing soccer as a teenager versus soccer professionally. I mean, the mindset has to change. And so uh, moving to the, I guess, professional realm, suddenly now there were demands that were being made of you because, oh, now you have to say the sponsor's name and you have to say right. this thing here. And, oh, you have to be funny. What? I have to be funny? Yeah. <laughs> Well, how do I just be fun? Oh, you figure it out, man. That's mm-hmm. that's your job. And and uh, it it took on it 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 was still fun, but it was now work. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that did take on a different. Um, it did take on a, a different 
uh, bent to it. But I guess the 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 fun thing about it was is is that for me it was still improv, and that was mm. what I still got a chance to do the most, and that was the thing I enjoyed the most, and continue to enjoy the most. That's one of the things that keeps me interested is that nothing that I do to this day is really scripted ever. Um, th- there are times when I have to do a, a news story, and I'm reading from a script, but I wrote sure. that. But everything else that I do, it's freeform. It's jazz, and and I. I there are notes and there are chords and there are chord progressions, but there's nothing ever hammered out that says, you know, you have to do it like this. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's one of the things that I still really get excited to do is that I get to improv, I get to riff. And today, for example, um, a great example is up off of US2 in the Everett area, there was a, a log jam that had developed under the Hewitt Avenue mm-hmm. trestle right by the EB Slough. Um, and so... <laughs> All morning long, the anchors are saying, oh, yeah, there's this log jam, log jam, log jam. And all I'm thinking is log jamming from The Big Lebowski. And that's the wow. name of the porn film mm-hmm. that Jackie Treehorn has created in The Big Lebowski. <gasps> and so just on, I just riff on that for a second. Weather person tosses to me and says, hey, Adam, how about that log jam? I said, yeah, it's Jackie Treehorn's greatest production or whatever. And and I just, you know, you you run with it and you have fun with it. Mm-hmm. How and many people in the studio caught it? None. Exactly. And, but that's the point. <laughs> yeah. Because I don't care if they mm-hmm. don't catch it. I care about the one person that out there awesome. who does catch it. <laughs> and and if, if that one person out in listener land or viewer mm-hmm. land hears it or sees it and they laugh, then mission accomplished. Because so much of what we do, we never know what the end result is when we're doing it. There's there's never a, a laugh track or an audience right there. Mm-hmm. I mean, sometimes you can crack up your co-hosts, but sure. you, you never you, you just have to trust in the faith that what I'm saying is funny and that I think this is funny and I think this will be good. Uh, and, and just trust in that and fingers crossed, you know, and it works. And then somebody writes you on a Twitter and they're like, yeah, hey, I, I send you a tweet. And they're like, that was hilarious. That was great. Jackie Treehorn, ha, 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 Lebowski, whatever. And it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, but did they fix the cable? You know, or something, you know, the the that's that's the fun part for mm-hmm. me is still getting to do that awesome. and and getting that freedom um so the i guess to circle back to the answer to your question the freedom that i had before was it was a wide open palette mm-hmm. now it's it's there's more structure to it i still get that freedom but, but but i have to be a little more careful about how i put that together and uh and so i still enjoy it um but it is a different animal yeah. Well, I mean, and you you have been able to do what so many people are scared to do, which yeah. is take that passion project yeah. and turn it into your career yeah. and still like it. Yeah. That's uh, it is yeah. so uncommon because yeah. again, once it turns into a job, mm-hmm. understandably to a lot of folks in a lot of different industries, it stops being fun. Yeah. And so you the fact that you are still able to have those moments and have that yeah. improbability is pretty yeah. amazing. You know, and what was really kind of strange about it is I never really had stage fright as a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, even performing or getting up on stage, I never really freaked out about that. I, I kind of developed a weird burst of that through college for a second, but that was because there was a grade. Because usually when people break out of that. <laughs> right, but there was a grade on the line, and there was now suddenly oh. there was a judge. Mm-hmm. You know, when I was already my harshest critic to begin with. Of course. But now when there was some professor standing across you and, in, in, you know, looking at you and you're like, you know, trying to tell you what's right and what was wrong, that was suddenly where I developed any sort of stage fear or stage fright. But others, other than that, there was, I, I've never really had that sort of fear that so many people have I, i've never really understood why are people so afraid of public speaking yeah you know uh, i yeah same thing yeah, yeah. you know on my end because of just 
theater background, yeah. speech and debate, speech, speech and debate in college. It was just something that was just so natural. Yeah. And so I can understand when people say that that scares them. Yeah. You know, I, I can understand that. Yeah. But when it actually comes to doing it, I'd never had that. Right. Yeah, that 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 there's fear almost. You know, I mean, everyone has their own fears. I get it. Sure. You know, um, but yeah, getting getting up on stage. Yeah, exactly. And did a lot of theater too. So it was it, it just that was never something that I shied away from. So. Yeah. Well, and speaking of you know, looping back to Big Lebowski and, mm-hmm. and film references and everything. So you have also you know been a film critic yes. for for a number of years with the Cinema Squabble podcast, which yeah. is awesome. I was on a recent episode of that, yeah. and you have been gracious enough to have me on a few times. Uh, so Cinema Squabble has been going on for several years. Yeah, I think we've been there. I think we're going into year six at this point. Uh, five, or, five or six. I always lose track. I, I have to think, where was I on what project when we when we hatched <laughs> right. this plan? It's like, oh, I think I was five, six years ago. Yeah. So I'd have to, honestly, I, I, it is five or six at this point, but yeah. Because you have that yeah. and also adamgerke.com mm-hmm. where you post kind of capsule yeah. reviews. Yeah. Because uh, the majority of the reviews that I write go onto a wire service that nobody ever sees. Like the public never sees them, but the the stations, the affiliates that I work with, mm-hmm. uh, they have access to those things. But oh, interesting. It, but it's again, that's it's show prep, it's wire prep, it's things that you know that that the public doesn't ever get to mm-hmm. see because of the company that I work for. Their again, their goal is to be transparent. So, like the AP, they have a wire service. Okay. Um, and that services our, our affiliates, the, those who subscribe to it. Um, but I, you know, I'm, I'm writing all this stuff and I'm like, well, crap, you know, I wanted to go more. I wanted to right. go somewhere more than just that. So I just kind of adopted it and started putting it on my own website, which mm-hmm. when I, you know, back, back, back when everyone needed a website, <laughs> um, that used to just be a business card for me. It was a way so that I could you yep. know, maybe drum up some voiceover jobs every now and then or whatever. Uh, but then I was like, well, Hey, wait, there's this WordPress thing. Let's do it. And, um, and so that's just kind of where I stuffed everything ever since in addition to putting it on the wire. Right. So, and the podcast yeah. and, and all and, and that. The, and the podcast kind of fell in line years after that because, mm-hmm. uh, I started doing film criticism for 88.5 KPLU at the time, now KNKX. I did that part of weekend edition. I started doing that, uh, back around 2003. So you know, wow. I was doing stuff for them. So your back film then. criticism can drive yeah. now. Yeah, sixteen it, it, years it can old. Do that. Yeah, <laughs> yay! So, so. What, what I always find fascinating whenever I, you know, I'm talking to my fellow film critics who have been doing this much longer, you know, than I have been. Yeah. Do you remember the first thing that you professionally reviewed, and have you watched it again since then? I can remember the f- well. Yes, there's there's two. Um, the uh, the one that I'll I'll talk about the one that I think was most interesting though, and uh, the the first interview that I did was mm. Frank Oz, oh, and it shit. was for um, Death at a Funeral that he had directed. Wow! And uh, and so I, I was no stranger to doing interviews. Mm-hmm. I mean that was all part of what I'd already been doing. But when the opportunity to interview Frank Oz came up, I'm like. Oh my God, this is awesome. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is one of my heroes right yeah. here. I mean, this guy, this guy, you know, uh, and it, it was the, the long story on short of that one is it was all tied around. This was about, this was about 12 years ago. Uh, it was all tied around the time 
a, a very dark period in my life, I had just been mugged. And uh, I'd been mm. literally beaten black and blue. My nose was broken. My face was like I in was in Seattle. Yeah, yeah, thirty feet from my door. Um, I, I had been beaten to a pulp, and uh, like three days later, I was to interview Frank Oz. Gosh. <laughs> and so, so I mean, I a couple days after this, I looked still like like one of Frankenstein's creations. But I'm I'm interviewing mm. Frank Oz, mm-hmm. and it wasn't audible. Um, so this is in person, like at the studio. In person, okay. he was here for SIF. And uh, and it was a part of SIF. And wow. at the time, the PR rep uh, was I was who I was in contact with. We we'd been talking. She's you know, but it was it was like a major concern. But there was hell or high water. I was not going to miss that interview Absolutely. with Frank Oz. And so um, that was one of the first ones that I actually like got an interview for. So it was around that time. I remember the uh, I can't remember the name of the film now, but it was uh, Kirsten Dunst as Marie Antoinette. And that was the f- that was one of the first films that I saw as a critic. Hmm. Um, I think it was just called Marie Antoinette. Uh, <laughs> Weird, Internet. yeah, yeah. It was, um, you know, it was one of those films where I don't know. I wasn't. I'm just not in love with that film in particular. It just happened okay. to be the one that that opened the first door. Uh, but Frank Oz still holds the uh, the art. Uh, I mean, that is a hell of a first interview. Yeah, first first interview. I would say of that caliber yeah and it was and it, it fell in my lap so the and it was an interview that almost didn't happen but not because of my fault <laughs> uh, right yeah uh yeah i've i've never heard that story so yeah. wow uh yeah that definitely uh that that changes things yeah. a little bit when you go through a situation like that and yeah you know that you have that coming up right so uh awesome so yeah that that was the getting to know you yeah out of gherky edition and the, well i guess my final question would be yeah how do you? What is the best way to kill a Mormon zombie? Mm. So yeah, therein lies the good question of the Book of Zombie, the the film that we we uh, a number of us from the TV station came up with a number of years ago, right around the time I was being mugged, as a matter of fact. Oh, um, uh, because I and I can say that because I had just come back from my mom's place where I was bringing a lamp that was in her basement that we were going to be using as one of our set pieces, and so it was pouring rain. I just come back from my mom's place, and that's when I get tackled. But the um, the so this was a number of years ago, and uh, a number of us from the TV station. We were all we had this this executive producer who was incredibly difficult to work with, hmm. and w- we were all having lunch in the lunchroom, and suddenly just kind of tossing out ideas. What are we going to do to stay alive? Because this guy is killing us, and we need something to distract us from this misery that mm-hmm. we are being subjected to. And somebody started tossing out ideas for films. Hey, we should make a film about this. Well, we should do this. We should do that. We should do this. And then somehow somebody, I don't, you know, kicks out the idea. Oh, we should do a zombie film. Yeah, because that was even before zombies had even taken off. Mm-hmm. And it was, yeah, we should do zombies. Not only zombies, they should be Mormon zombies. Yeah, what do we kill them? Well, that's easy, Coke. You know, we'll spray Coca-Cola on them. We'll spray this and coffee and that. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, it's like a vampire movie, but it was a zombie movie and this and... Uh, and um, and so what started out is just what was going to be a YouTube short, a five minute mm-hmm. YouTube short, and then it gets blown up into a you know sixty page treatment. And the next thing you know, you've got a full script, and you have enough guys at a TV station who ha- all have enough experience in mm-hmm. doing their particular elements that w- we could make a film. And that's exactly what we did. We kind of combined forces, and it became this passion project. For uh, initially, there were about five of us, and then it ballooned up to about two hundred. And then it kind of, there were about five of us that stuck with it through the whole process right. from start to finish. I, I was one of them. Because um, you ended up doing the entire score for that mm-hmm. movie. Yeah. Yeah. Originally, that was all I was going to do was the score. But then it turned out, 
well, oh, hey, I can act. Oh, hey, I can do this. Oh, hey, I can do that. Oh, hey, you need to build, build the set? I'll build you the set. You know, it was one of those mm-hmm. things where I, I, re- it was, I still look back on that as one of like the greatest times of my life where I got to flex awesome. all of my creative things. You know, I want to, I want to build a carpenter. I want to do this. I want to do that. I want to, it was, it was super cool. And, and the, the folks that we were, you know, all of us that were working on that project, we all had to, the same kind of can do attitude because, you know, when you're working on a micro, micro, broge, uh, micro budget project, mm-hmm. you know, you got to make miracles happen. Yeah. You don't have the money otherwise. So if this is going to happen, it's got to be up to us. And well, so, and it is peak indie filmmaking. Yeah. When it is just like, hey, this is what we want to do. Yeah. Okay. You have access to a camera. Cool. You right. have access to an eight track. You have an access. You have to, yeah. It's like piecing everything together. Yeah. And they'd be like, oh, Adam, wait, can you build something? Sure. Yeah. Uh, can you like. Right. And, and <laughs> Craigslist was just taking off at the time. So, oh, hey, we need all these building things. What? Well, oh, and, you know, the city of Auburn happens to loan us a block. You know, they gave us a, a you know, an entire block of the city that they were going to be demolishing. And that included, <laughs> um, we were we were in search of a pool table initially. And we went to this bar because uh, the bar was being shut down mm-hmm. and it was about to be leveled. And we, so we went to the, the bar looking for this pool table. The bartender says, well, sorry, man, the, the pool table's already speaking for, or spoken for, but mm-hmm. you should talk to the city because you might be able to shoot your movie in here and <laughs> use this, you know, use this place uh, w- while it's still standing. Um, so that's, you know, our, our, you know, to the guys in our production crew mm-hmm. marched across the street to City Hall and said, hey, we want to shoot a movie over here. And they're like, and, and we had we been smart enough to form an LLC. We had a production nice. company at the time. Nice. Here's our card. We'll get insurance. And they're like... Leave the four, you know, leave the four exterior walls up. Mm-hmm. Do whatever you want on the inside. We're like, awesome, you know. <laughs> Thank you, City of Auburn. Mm-hmm. You were amazing. And they, they, they gave us the run of those that entire block. There were three restaurants that were being leveled, and they're something completely different now. Uh, but we, we show, filmed our entire movie in these things and mm. cut holes in the floors and mm-hmm. built all our sets in these things and used and all it the was, stuff it that was, was left over. It was quite the bloody affair. Oh man. Um, of, well. Blood yeah. and other yeah. things. <laughs> our our effects guy came from Craigslist as well. He's he's now uh, he's now down in Hollywood doing effects for wow. major films. Marcel Banks. He's uh, he's at it, and he is the man. And he came in uh, with a shop vac and rubber foam latex, everything, and blasted the walls with blood. And it was, uh, but you know, his recipe of caro syrup. We followed the Evil Dead recipes. Oh yeah, we were learning everything. Mm-hmm. And and Marcel had already you know a real head start on that. So he was teaching us what he knew, and we were all learning at the same time. So, you know, blood guns made from this and that, and it was absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it was a blast. Yeah. Um, uh, and for those yeah. wondering, yeah. you can watch the entire thing on YouTube. Yeah. Which I may or may not have done. <laughs> yeah. It's and I will say this: it was a first attempt. We all look at it and we're like, oh god, oh oh my gosh. Right. You know, I mean, it's terrible, but it's great at the same time. Yeah. Uh, and but so, the thing is, yeah. what I was talking about when it comes to creative pursuits like that, mm-hmm. you did it. It yeah. is there. It yeah. got finished. That's and that's a very valid point. Um, some, and something I think about every with every film that we see, mm-hmm. because for every film that we see, there are uh, dozens, hundreds yep. of films. Somebody starts somewhere and somewhere it dies and yep. it never sees the light of day. And ours yep. did. It, it actually, and it got a uh, distribution through a UK uh, distribution company. We're on, wow. we're on the Ultimate Zombie Feast DVD, which you can get on Amazon. Wow. How are those royalty checks? Uh, non-existent. <laughs> Miss Ellen Grace has yet to actually issue a check to us. Um, mm. We've uh, we've been in contact with her over the years and uh, no, that's never coming. Yeah. So I think you, last checked, I could find them on Amazon for like 15 cents. So. Wow. Yeah. There were some that were a dollar and some that were, you know, 
15 cents. So, okay. Yeah. So, uh, well, good luck on, on that yeah. one. Yeah. <laughs> Someday. So, some, yeah. you know, who knows? It could get picked up somewhere and, uh, yeah, not likely, but you know, I, I look for it in the uh, bargain basement bins in, uh, clandestine gas mm-hmm. stations, you know, mm-hmm. like where it's like, here's the two for $1. Oh, okay. right. Hey, look, it's the ultimate zombie feast edition one. <laughs> I love those combo packs. <laughs> yeah. Those are great. Yeah. Cool. Uh, well, yeah, so definitely uh, uh, check out Adam's movie, The Book of Zombie, on, yeah. on YouTube. Yeah, and I, I will also put this other little plug in there, that uh, some of the same production crew, we have ideas for several other films that uh, that mm. are in the works. And and now knowing what we, what we know now going forward, uh, there are a couple ideas we've been kicking around, one involving a Sasquatch. Nice. Um, uh, another, which I'll just kind of give you the, the, the log line on, which is uh, grandson returns to grandmother in a, a nursing home um, and she's suffering from Alzheimer's, uh, fighting demons. But those demons, that's the question of, are they real mm. or are they in her mind? And uh, okay. it's called Memory Lane. So we're working on that one. That's the one we're actively pursuing. Okay. Um, so it could happen. It could never happen. But it's all based on our own experiences. So there is a lot of truth in that. Uh, I like it. So Yeah. I like it. Cool. All right. So uh, speaking of... Movies. Sure. Time for the movie review section of of the podcast. Oh, yeah. That's why we're here. I know. Right. (laughs) Uh, So the first movie we're going to be talking about is The Lighthouse. Yes. So this is one that Adam and I talked about on on his show, Mm -hmm. Cinema Squabble, just recently. So as the guest, Mm -hmm. how about you start us off with The Lighthouse? Lighthouse. Okay. So this is Tales of the Sea 1880 style. Um, Mm -hmm. And... Robert Eggers, director on this, uh, and uh, I always want to call him Dave Eggers, but that's an author altogether, completely separate. Um, Robert Eggers, if you're familiar with his other work, The the Witch, mm-hmm. um, what I really appreciate about Eggers is he takes the horror of the time. And before it was in The Witch, it was the horrors of the witch. And, and growing up as a, you know... Kind of a, I, I was a weird kid. I was really into the dark. I was into the mysterious. Mm-hmm. I was the first kid to check the werewolf book out of the out of the school library and learn how to become a werewolf. Right. That's uh, sorry. Where, what book is this? It was <laughs> called the werewolf book. And, oh, okay. And, of course. In fact, I've I've done Google searches in uh, recent day looking for mm-hmm. the. There were actually like the in the book. I remember this. I I remember it vividly. There was the incantations on how to like summon the devil to become a werewolf. What? And they said, th- yeah, I'm not, I'm not kidding. And this was in the this was in Margaret Mead Elementary, Redmond, Washington, now Sammamish. And uh, this is where we find out that right. library never existed. They, well, <laughs> but the fact is, they were giving this book out to children. Right. You know, and it, this is it has this is during like satanic panic almost. Oh, like at, this is the oh, 70s, 80s. Exactly. This is yeah, like what? 86, 87, 88. Jeez. And I'm reading this stuff. And it's talking about rubbing yourself down with opium and, you know, boiling, wow. you know, boiling a cauldron in the moonlight and creating a circle and all this. So I, I'm well familiar with what was considered witchcraft. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I've also studied witchcraft outside of that, mm-hmm. and, you know, the personal interests and all of so I'm well aware of what the world was afraid of. Right. I mean, even and, before I started recording, you right. insisted on rubbing yourself down with opium. Absolutely. I did not understand it yeah. at the time. Yeah. Now it makes sense. And it smells delicious. I mean, it so, does. Right. So <laughs> for those of you at home who can't smell this, it's yeah, it's, it's a rich patchouli. Mm. No, uh, the, uh, so what I appreciate about Eggers in The Witch is that he took that horror and what was real to the people at that time. Yep. And he brought it forward and didn't really... He didn't have to change a whole lot to make it, um, I guess, current. 
yeah. he, he he stuck with that terror and a lot of it so the witch in and of itself isn't a scary movie but it's scary when you actually think about what it was happening at the time yeah. the lighthouse is in that same bent in that the horror we're being exposed to is the fear that the men of the sea were experiencing around the turn of the century yeah. and Never have I met a more superstitious group of folks than people who live on boats or folks at sea to this day. I mean, they're still, yeah. you know. If you want to hear some some stories that would be right out of the lighthouse, head into Ballard. Yeah. Sit, sit down at a bar next to an older guy. Find the guy with the dark, like the oldest, longest beard, you know. Yeah, or, well, and plus know. what I loved when I first moved here, I lived in Ballard, which mm-hmm. for those non-Northwest uh, listeners, Ballard is the old school Scandinavian section of Seattle where yeah. all of the shipmen and all the sailors and everything. Mm-hmm. So there was a bar down by this place I lived. It opened at, I think, 7 a.m. Yeah. And they had a happy hour from 8 to 10 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> because the fishermen would get off work sure. at 4 a.m., yeah. 5 a.m. Yeah. And what do most people like to do when they get off work? Of course. Go to the bar. So like one time we had a snow day. This was in 2010. Uh-huh. And so, of course, snow day in Seattle, that can mean three inches and the city shuts down. So my roommate and I at the time, we were like, we should just go to the bar. We yeah. have today off. It is like a random Tuesday. We get there on like 11 a.m. There's this group of dudes in there who are hammered because yeah. they have been in there since 8 a.m. when they got off work. Yep. So, yeah, sailors and just anybody who, yeah, has been at sea. Mm-hmm. I mean, you start to go a little crazy. Yeah, they've seen some things. And mm-hmm. uh, they've seen some things, or they thought they've seen some things. Right. The terror can be real. Uh, and in this case, in the lighthouse, the, the horror that we're getting is cabin fever. I mean, <laughs> and, and it's two dudes, Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson. And this is uh, tete-a-tete. They are, they, are, uh, commi- they are committed to their roles in, Absolutely. Uh, you know, in, a, in a way that we don't quite see as often. Um, and, uh, to the point where, uh, amazing out of the fact that Defoe, for example, has such theater experience, mm-hmm. there is a monologue or three or four that he <laughs> rattles few. off that is straight out of, you know, like something straight out of Herman Melville and, and, uh, you know, Moby Dick. And you're like, my God, this guy remembered all this stuff. And there's a, there's almost a lyricism or a poetry mm-hmm. to his words and, uh, there's a lyricism and poetry to, I think, the way the Irish and the Scottish and the English speak. And that's the way that a lot of, uh, you know, Moby Dick kind of old English comes from right. as well. And so that's really what Defoe's character is kind of embodying. And, uh, you know, damn ye, Winslow, you know, mm-hmm. you know, that Neptune cast down upon you. I mean, upon ye, you know, there's there's something horrific but fantastic at the same mm-hmm. time. Um so the lighthouse is kind of capturing Pattinson's arrival on this rock. And I, I'm going to guess it's somewhere on the eastern seaboard. We're never really told where yeah. it is. But kind of based on the fact that Pattinson's character, Winslow, uh, speaks with a very Boston or mm-hmm. New England accent. And it has kind of this sing-songy mm-hmm. Boston-ish accent where it is yeah. never quite consistent all the way through. Right. And same with, I mean, Defoe. As yeah. fantastic as he was, sometimes it was hard for me to be like, okay, is this Irish? Is this Scottish? Is this just somebody who right. has traveled around right. the world? So, But that did not 
take away sure. from the performances. Sometimes it can't. Yeah. Sometimes when accents slip or they go between things. Or they're drunk. <laughs> or that. And you and you hear it. Yeah. This, when you did hear it, there was never a moment where I was like, oh, well, this is just Robert Pattinson. Right. Like no. it just, it was so honed in. And the way that I, one of the ways that I described it to the rep who was mm -hmm. outside, it was just this. Shakespearean-esque character study yeah. of a down path into madness. Yeah. Like this path that they go on. The other thing I described that she wrote down, I'm not sure if she actually sent it to A24 or not. Right. Uh, was artistic masturbation. Yeah, there's a fair amount of that. Like this is Robert Eggers. Mm -hmm. I mean, again, with The Witch, he made this incredible period piece yeah. that just works from costuming to light, lighting design. This is is the artiest art house film I have seen in years. Yeah. yeah. It, I mean, because it just, yeah, it was him in a sandbox being able to do kind of whatever he wants to do because of the success of The Witch. Right. And he has the full support of A24 to do yeah. whatever he wants. Yeah. And boy, did he stretch his his muscles on this one. Yeah. I, I would I would agree with you on that. In fact, I, was, I think what I was telling the, the rep at the time when, when I came out of the theater too was... My first reaction, there was a film, I think it was Jim Jaramouche, mm -hmm. a film called uh, Dead Man with Johnny yeah, Depp, Johnny Depp. Mm -hmm. uh, a number of years ago. And that was, as much as, 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 much as this was also, uh, you know, in relation to The Witch, the first other film, like on the bookshelf, this sits next to, it sits next to Dead Man, in my mind, wow. out of its black and white uh, imagery, art house, mm -hmm. accessibility. It's that same. It's that same thing. It's like I don't know who's going to want to go out and see this. Um, I, I think they're doing a, a huge marketing campaign because I keep seeing it pop up in every you know yeah, media but, form that I have. But to whom? But to like, who? Right, this, right. This is, and and we say that not because this is a a hard movie. It just this is a yeah. such an art house movie where this is for your person who the movies they choose to see yeah in the theater they're very selective yeah. And yeah, your regular like Regal member or right, A plus yeah. AMC member. I got the Stubbs card. Right. Yeah. Sign me up. This is and if they do go to this one, yeah. I, I just I fear that they might not stay through all, stay through all of it because right. yeah, this this takes some dedication and it takes just to, I don't know. It sounds weird to say like knowledge of cinema because that makes it sound too mm. arty, but yeah. You gotta wait for this one. Yeah, I think I think you really have to uh, allow yourself to be induced by it mm -hmm. and also let the slow burn effect take hold because yeah. <laughs> it is a slow burn. Um, and, and because it is cabin fever and because it, you know, th the editing is, it's a slower edit. There are sometimes yeah. we hang on some really long shots or canted angles and it has almost a very European feel in that, in that construction that a lot of, I'd say um, American audiences mm -hmm. aren't going to know what to make of this. And yeah. it's, I would liken it to as much as I love this film, um, I I would agree. I don't know who's going to be able to find that it's not it's not accessible, and we we are in a we're in a country right now where the shape of water. I'll use that as my example. Mm. I was around the time of Oscars and the shape of water winning a couple of years ago. I was mm -hmm. I was working. I was down in. Um, I was down in Palm Springs on vacation, and I was in the little uh, hotel workout facility, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm on the treadmill or the or, orbital or elliptical, whatever it is at the time, and I'm, you know, paddling away, and I hear these two women come in, and they're yabbering on about, you know, what won the Oscars and what that, 
And like, oh, it was the shape of water. Oh, what was that? Oh, it was weird. And that's all they could say about it. Like mm. they, they couldn't they couldn't wrap their brains around any yeah. more about the shape of water other than to say, it's weird. It was weird. I didn't like it. Mm-hmm. And to me, I hate hearing that. Yeah. Because you can tell me you hate something, but if you can't tell me why you hate it and to say it was weird, what made it weird? Mm-hmm. What made you uncomfortable? There, there's you, you there's to more to that. Defend yourself. Right. Yeah. <laughs> tell me, tell me, you know, reason with me. Mm-hmm. Show me why. It's okay that you hate it. I don't care. Yeah, sure. But you have to tell me more than just it was weird. And I'm, a f- I'm, a, I'm fearing that there will be more people that go out this and see it and go, oh, it's weird. And the door closed, yeah. you know, and that's that's all we're going to get from them. They won't open their minds to it and allow it to work on them and think yep. on it and let it be that slow burn that then you also have to think about for several days afterwards and just kind of go, what was that about? Yeah, this, this definitely stuck with me because it is a challenging mm-hmm. film. And I say that because first it is 4-3. Mm-hmm. As, as somebody, you know, a, a film critic and yeah. somebody who, you know, has dabbled in things here and there, when I see a 4-3 yeah. black and white film. Boxy. Yeah. I'm just like, okay, art house toolbox, check. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but. Shot in 16 millimeter or something like that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah something seriously. weird. Yeah, what, what, what are you doing? Yeah. Um, and so to see this in a, you know, new theater, you know, where everything is 6 by 9 So we have 4-3, we have a box mm-hmm. in the middle of the screen. That over the course of time stretches to almost 16 by 9. It never really never fills quite gets there. Yeah. the entire screen. And then it goes back to 4-3. And this accordion style in the hands of somebody else, yeah. I think would fail miserably. Yeah. I noticed it in this film and I was trying to pick apart why it was there and if there was any rhyme or reason. At the end of it, Adam and I were talking about it. Yeah. We if there was a rhyme or reason, Eggers has it in his head. Yeah. And who knows? But again, just like the accent, it did not take away from the movie. Right. It was happening and yeah. you notice it, but it was just, it was such a flow mm-hmm. that it made sense. And along those lines, the way it was shot, the yeah. way that this movie was lit, yeah. I mean, it, this was an incredible film to just watch. Right. Challenging film to watch. Yeah. But incredible film just to not just with the performances, which again, monologue central. Yeah. Like, this is just Defoe, just, oh my gosh, just giving it his all. Right. Uh, uh, tying into that as well, uh, sound design, I yeah. found to be impeccable, impeccable. The the creation, I mean, you're at a lighthouse, there is a foghorn. And the foghorn- Every 30 seconds or 60 horn, seconds. Yeah. And from the get-go, you're like, oh great, is that going to be with us the whole time? Short answer, yes. Spoiler <laughs> alert. Um, mm-hmm. It-, it it's not there with the entire time, but a, a lot of the time. But then also some of the other uh, kind of incidental sounds and mm-hmm. effects and things that get used in this. Um, right now at my desk at work, I have a barometer. And I'm wow. watching the barometer on a daily basis just to kind of uh, take notes. But I got a kick out of the fact that there's a barometer that's in the film that mm-hmm. constantly shows like going low. And when the when the pressure drops, that's when like these massive storms are hitting us. and. Mm-hmm. That's happening. I mean, it's I mean, there's all sorts of great little nods in there, um, and, and one, some big nods yeah, to yeah. mythology. <laughs> exactly, Sisyphus. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was the other one that you had pointed out? There was uh, well, the Sisyphus was one where because like he's pushing, pushing up coal. Yeah, you know, there was one where it is very just Olympian. When you yeah. think of like Zeus, there's this yeah. pose that Defoe does. Yeah. And again, the way this is shot, if you take that still image, like there's that Twitter handle I talk about all the time called One Perfect Shot. Mm-hmm. 
if you take that frame, that frame yeah. <laughs> where Defoe is just standing there with this- You'll know it when uh, you see it. This yeah. incredible it's lighting like this behind him. It's almost Atlas Zeus pose. Yeah. It's incredible. Unreal. Like I, I want that yeah. as a poster. Yeah. Like that was just, it blew me away. Yeah. So you have those uh, themes as well. And uh, what's the the final the final shot that we're getting? Not trying to spoil anything here, but it's Prometheus. Uh, Prometheus, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So I'm thinking Fire Stealer, but that's that's okay. That's sort of, but right. not really. But yeah, uh, yeah. So that that was, yeah. It was, this was a film that all of us kind of came out of it, and of course the the rep is there right now. Mm-hmm. What did you think? Hey, which, all, yeah. all, what like Chipper, and all of us just kind of stood there for a second and right. Really just had to process it. And yeah, for days later, yeah. had to process it. I, again, I agree with you. I have no idea who sees this movie. Yeah. I have no idea who enjoys this movie. I have no idea who hates this movie. Like, I, yeah, <laughs> this, this is a, an odd one. Yeah. What what I hope, what I would hope for it is, is that the people who do take it in, mm-hmm. uh, allow it to sit with them and and get that inspiration of the horror of the sea and the fears of the things that we don't know because the ocean is big, you know. The, the o- yeah, you know. ocean is big yeah. and terrifying. There's a, there's a lot we don't know, you know. We don't know. That's, you know. There's a there's a a, a thirty second horror film. Uh, here's mm. a, more about me for just a second. There's a thirty second horror film that I actually I want to put together that's called Bait. And again, it's kind of about the what we don't know in the ocean and what you know. It's it, and it begins with a lighthouse and a foghorn. Awesome. Um, so, but the idea is. You know, the only thing we see out of it is a tentacle that's kind of pulling back in the water after mm-hmm. someone's maybe been disappeared. But the what we don't know is is more frightening than what we do know. Yeah, and that's, that's and in this part of film, what this is. We never really get answers yeah. to the questions that it brings up. Yeah, you know, of again of, of sanity, like of the character motivations of time. Even mm-hmm. there's this great scene where Defoe, and it is in one of the trailers, I think. He was like, you know, how long have we been here? You know, you say that same thing every day. Mm-hmm. Watching the movie, we think it has only been four or five days. It might be four or five days. It might be 21. It might be four weeks. Like, yeah, we never really know. And so it just, it keeps you guessing in the best ways. Yeah. So. Yeah. I love yeah. this film. Yeah. So the rating system uh, for this podcast, if this is your first time listening because you saw that Adam was going to be on it. So you thought immediately I need to listen to this thing. So the rating system, there are no stars, no letter grades. Mm. The rating system is good, bad, or ugly. Mm. Good film was something you came out of and you want to recommend to a friend. Yes. Bad film was just a film where it was just there and you were not really sure who would like it. Mm. And then ugly, avoid at all costs. Oh. Uh, Adam, uh, as as the guest, yeah. Lighthouse. It, good. This is good. <laughs> I... As as difficult as it is for people to understand it, wrap mm-hmm. their head around it, I love it, um, and it is one of those experiences I think people will be hard pressed to forget, and yeah. and for that very fact uh, that this will challenge you in your thinking, this will challenge you uh, on, on all fronts. Um, I, I think we need more of that. I don't want just the uh, feed me the soma. No, get in there and do some thinking. Mm-hmm. Get in there and do some learning. Figure out what it is they're trying to say. Go. This is good. I yeah. think this is good. Solid good. Totally agree. Uh, I give this good as well. As film critics who see 300 movies a year, yeah. we are always talking about wanting something original, wanting something different that is not a remake, that is not a reboot, mm-hmm. which is why when we get something like this, it yeah. knocks our socks off. Yeah. yeah. So there are very few that, like, 
after 30 days, the eject button gets pushed in my brain. Yep. And it's like, don't care, gone. But there are the, the few that actually stay in. Yeah. This is one that's going to stay in. Yeah. So, yeah. Awesome. So that is the lighthouse uh, getting two goods from us. Yeah. Next film is Black and Blue, which mm. we just saw the other night. Yeah. So this is a complete <laughs> uh, 180 turn from yeah. a an art house black and white film. So this movie is, yeah, Black and Black and Blue, directed by Dion Taylor. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did Traffic a couple years ago mm-hmm. uh, with the K, not with the C. Uh, he did The Intruder earlier this year. So he has two films. Yeah. Uh, which both launched their four-year consideration campaigns recently. Yeah, we and we just got the, uh, well, the Black and Blue came in today, as today. a matter of fact. On, uh, like, uh, nominated for, or they're, they're pushing for all, all categories. categories. <laughs> Huh. Director, actor, cinematographer, like, and mm. The Intruder, his film from earlier this year. Yeah. That was up for like best director, yeah. best actor. And it was like, okay, Hidden Empire Films. Yeah. You, you're pushing. This is ambitious. So, um, hmm. yeah, this film stars Naomi Harris, uh, Frank Grillo, mm-hmm. Mike Coulter, and a, and a host of other folks. Mm. And this is a kind of a take on the derivative cop drama of. So Naomi Harris, you know, is this woman who grew up in, you know, the projects of New Orleans, who then leaves for over a decade, does military service, and then comes back to become a cop in her old neighborhood. Yeah. Anybody who has lived in the same place or on the same people who leaves for a long time and comes back, there's always kind of this mm-hmm. animosity, especially in black neighborhoods and you come back and you are a cop. Yeah. Especially, uh, I think this is post Katrina too. So yeah. uh, lower ninth ward, I think is really kind yeah, of where so we're focusing on this areas that were completely devastated yeah. by Katrina. And so she is now a cop and the whole title of the movie, you know, basically is yes, she is a black woman, mm-hmm. but she is also blue. She is a cop now mm-hmm. and multiple cops, black cops in particular, keep telling her, you are no longer black. You are yeah. no longer from here. They are no longer your friends. You are blue. Mm-hmm. And so we have this internal conflict, which becomes an external conflict as she witnesses a crime from her fellow police officers that she has to go on the run for. Yeah. Go. Yeah. You know, and that is where the movie kind of sets off. Yeah. And I think that's, I mean, that's really kind of what the, the trailer exposes. Mm-hmm. So I think there's no spoilers involved in that. Yeah. Um, <sighs> This is an interesting one mm-hmm. because you and I sat next to each other during this and we, you and I are in a, th- a theater with the public and a, the vast majority of the public, African-American. Mm-hmm. And I, I will, I, you know, look, I'm a, I'm a white <laughs> male. I grew mm-hmm. up in a white suburb. My life experiences aren't going to be what a lot of people who are witnessing this film have seen and experienced. Mm-hmm. Um, but... And I'm not trying to say, well, I'm woke. I understand <laughs> right. all the problems. I, you know, check my privilege. I, I don't know. I don't mm-hmm. know. But what I did see from this film, um, hold on, before I get to that, mm-hmm. let me let me say, there's a lot I do like about the film sure. and, and what they've what they've constructed here, and I like what I see as far as what Harris is doing and how mm-hmm. she's working through this film and uh, a lot of what she brings to the table. Um, I Her think, and Ty, yeah. like Tyrese, yeah. This is the best we have seen Tyrese yeah. in a long time. Right. Granted, we didn't really know if he was ever going to act again after he had his whole Fast and the Furious feud when Hobbs and Chow was getting made yeah. and 
you know, what more do you want from me? Yeah. His breakdown. Yeah. This is like, this is a solid performance mm-hmm. by Tyrese and Naomi Harris. Everybody else in this movie is mm-hmm. just a trope. Yeah. Every single person. And even the two of them are, but because they perform well, yeah, it works. Yeah. Everybody else from Mike Coulter being, yep. you know, the, the hard gang leader who of course works with the cops because mm-hmm. they have this arrangement. Grillo. Frank Grillo being just Frank like Grillo. Grillo. It's like <laughs> in oh, every okay. role. Yeah. You know. Like, so everybody is a trope in this film. Mm-hmm. And when that happens, you need to have performances that separate out. Mm-hmm. And they do like the, the two leads in this movie, the two people yeah. on the poster are better than everybody else in the film and show you what could have been mm-hmm. a great film because it does touch on some very real yeah. issues. Yep. But There's a massive <laughs> foot that gets shot in the end, though, uh, and <laughs> and I don't I don't know quite how much. I, I, how do how do you feel about spoilers? No spoilers. Okay. Yeah. So, <laughs> all right. Let me let me talk around this for a second. There were mm-hmm. two big films last year that garnered a ton of attention. One being Black Klansman. The other being Green Book. Yep. The criticism being of Green Book being that there's the white savior complex, mm-hmm. right? We have, a, we have an African-American man who is constantly being saved or putting himself into peril and being redeemed, but mm-hmm. all at the hands of Viggo Mortensen. Yep. And this is considered the acceptable film. This is considered the film that is uh, palatable and, um, and, and good or, mm-hmm. or, you know, this worthy. is, this is worthy and this yeah. is what garners the attention. Uh, and, and there is a, a lot of discussion about this and the fact that he's, all of the saving that's happening here is, is at, at the hands of a white man. The white man is doing the good thing mm-hmm. for the African-American. And that was not something that was, obvious to me at first until explained to me and then i went oh my god Mm -hmm. and then i started realizing oh my god this is in everything it's in it's in every film yeah it's in every and but then there's spike lee Mm -hmm. and there's black klansman yep where that is not the case because it constantly challenges that norm and it challenges the viewers to be Mm -hmm. like no this is reality yeah (laughs) yeah and so walking into the film last night I went with the mindset going, this could go one of two ways. Mm-hmm. This could go Green Book. This could go Black Klansman. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping for Black Klansman. Sure. And without spoiling, but spoiling, I'm saying there is a, a, a deliberate Green Book moment in this film. A hundred percent. And I think they could have easily worked around this and changed my mind about a lot of this film. And it's unfortunate that it comes down to like the last five minutes. Yep. And then I kind of just, yeah, I, I almost like threw up my hands and walked out. It's like, mm-hmm. all right, you did it for me. Yeah. yeah. You, know. you and you and I workshopped four other ideas yeah. as the credits are rolling. Yeah. <laughs> that could have yeah. not just re- redeemed the situation. Yeah. Would have made better narrative sense. Yep. Would have made better sense for character development. Four different ideas in the yeah. span of 60 seconds. Yeah. The choice that they made, because like they always say, yeah. acting is all about choices. Yep. Usually, the actor is making a choice, the director is making a choice. Mm-hmm. They made the wrong mm-hmm. choice. 100%. Flat out yeah. wrong choice. Wrong choice. Walking out of the theater last night, I 
thought, I was thinking about this long and hard too, as I'm riding down the escalators and I'm seeing couples leaving the, the theater as mm-hmm. well. And, and I'm thinking to myself and I'm, I'm watching, I'm, I'm wanting to look in their eyes and I'm wanting to see their reactions to what they just watched. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't getting a read one way or the other, mm-hmm. but what I was also thinking was, uh, I'm wondering, are they accepting of this because, damn it, this is just the way it's always been. And, right. And, or, or is there something else that I'm not seeing? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was, I, I walked out of the theater frustrated last night. Yeah. You know, and I, I don't have it. I, I, <laughs> and when we talked yeah. to the press reps who were there getting all of our quotes and everything, yeah. and Adam and I both said that the last five minutes, blah, blah, blah. And <laughs> as she was taking a note, she was like, yeah, that's what everybody's been saying. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, okay, so that means it is yeah. not just the film critics. It is not just, right. you know, the snobs right. of us, blah, blah. Right, right. If that is what, I mean, and she stands there yeah. or they stand there, whoever is there, as everybody is coming out yeah. to get opinions and whatever. And I'm, I'm wondering, mm-hmm. their complaint is about the last five minutes, but are, is their complaint about the last five minutes the same as what you and I are talking about? Yes. You know, that's that's what I want to know, you know? Yeah, like, and that, know. that was what she kind of said. Oh, she nodding? Okay. Yeah. And so... Similar to The Intruder, mm-hmm. Dion Taylor's film from earlier this year, this is a film that watching it in a theater with people mm-hmm. does enhance mm-hmm. the movie. Yeah, yeah. Opposite to a film like Lighthouse. Lighthouse, you know, you need to just sit there and be absorbed mm-hmm. into this movie. This one, you need to hear the claps. Right. You need to hear right. the shouts. That helps the movie. Yeah. Which is why it just was such a damn shame that... The, yeah. the one choice that they made in that last five minutes yep. flipped everything around. And it yeah. is, it just is hard because when you like everything about a movie mm-hmm. and you want that last taste in your mouth to stick with people and when that is sour, when mm-hmm. that is bitter, mm-hmm. it takes away from the great performance that Naomi Harris gives. She, I always have problems in movies where somebody gets an injury early in the film. Right, right. And then they keep going for Walk another yeah. 12 hours and you never really hear from it. You never like see yeah. them hold their leg again or their side. Yeah. That just bothers me from a storytelling point of view. Yeah. But she is a badass in this movie. Yeah. Like she does some really cool stuff. I mean, I, again, I liked parts of it. The things that it was saying mm-hmm. made sense. I liked those. The soundtrack was, was good mm-hmm. and it, it, it tied in perfectly, but yeah, also the time. Yeah. Like, the time does not make sense. We have Naomi Harris pulling a double shift. Yeah. Which then goes into, like, the morning when she sees the thing that you see in the trailer. Mm-hmm. And then it is nighttime again. Yeah. And I'm like, wait, what? Well, yeah, we, we lost a couple hours in there somehow. A, a yeah. few. Yeah. I mean, she takes a nap in there, but at the same point. But the whole time she's we... taking a nap, everybody else is, like, doing the thing yeah. to get to the next thing. Yeah. So that was just... That was weird. Yeah. I feel like this could have been like a tight 12 hours that we mm-hmm. we get a definitive marker. Yeah. You know, like similar to the show 24. Brilliant concept. Right. Why they needed seven seasons, I do not understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the concept was yeah. solid. Like if you give us a marker at the beginning of this film and she accepts the double shift. Yeah. And then we get little markers throughout the movie. Sure. But instead we get this thing where it's like, is this over 24 hours? Is this... 
36 hours. Like I think what they could have easily done to do that is because, and this is no secret, they're the, the big controversy is over the body cam that she's wearing. Right. Just keep time referring, stamp. put a timestamp yep. on the body cam and just keep going back to that. Oh, we're at, oh, dark 30. Oh, dark this. Mm-hmm. Oh, dark that. Oh, now it's da, 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 you know, and. Problem yeah, solved. At one know? point, we see the body cam, and it was like nine o'clock at night, and I was like, "Whoa, yeah. wait, how? Yeah. How?" So that was just kind of weird. But the, again, those things you can kind of accept because the movie is still sure moving along. So yeah, there was not really much else that I have to say about this movie because again, I, I left mm-hmm. so just disappointed in one choice that they made. Right. So, uh, yeah. So for good, bad, or ugly. Adam, what do you give? Black and blue? I I can't (laughs) throw it out completely. Mm -hmm. This is no longer good, though. I'm putting this in the bad category. Yeah. Um, There are still redeeming characteristics and qualities here. So, yeah, I can't can't just say, don't waste your time, don't waste your money, don't ever consider. Maybe just, maybe just turn the television off in the last couple <laughs> seconds or like i don't know accidentally hit the fast forward for you know a small frame and again and, it is yeah. two minutes yeah, yeah. That, that this happens and the whole time adam and i just ugh. yeah uh yeah i'm in the same boat I, I give this a bad because again naomi harris is solid she has some great action yeah. set pieces frank grillo is known for his action set pieces sure so those work um everybody is a trope Mm-hmm. Every single yeah. character that we interact with is a trope from the biased cops that we see in the first like five minutes, who oh, then yeah. of course show up again later on, and yeah. it just everybody's trope. But yeah, so this this is a bad film. Yeah. This is something. Wait four months for Netflix. Yeah, <laughs> there's no reason to see this in the theater. You know, there's another funny thing I noticed about this right off the bat, uh, which is uh, I'm in the process of reading a, bo- a book called uh, Save the Cat or Kill the Cat. Save the cat. Save the cat. <laughs> Different thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and it's a it's a book on screenwriting. And mm-hmm. the concept is you want to take your, we want to meet your hero early on and we want to like them. Okay. And one of the things that we'll see them do often is they'll save the cat. So, uh, for example, uh, Aladdin, perfect mm-hmm. example. Aladdin, we meet him. He's a thief. But we like him because... Breaks his bread, gives breaks, it to the orphans. Little kids, little kids mm-hmm. with big eyes. Yep. Oh, and by the way, then also saves the kids. Again, if it wasn't just the bread, he saves the kids from the giant horse that's about to stomp them. And mm-hmm. he stops the whip and he does all these things. And so he saves the cat multiple times. Okay. I like that. That endears us to mm-hmm. him. In this case, right out of the gate, black and blue, Naomi Harris visits her mother's grave. Right. And what does she do? She puts flowers on the grave. She's already endearing us to the, oh, she's a good daughter. She's taking care of mom, even though mom is now passed. And mm-hmm. so I, it was like, oh, okay, we're, de- we're headed down this path. This is, you know, yeah. this is, even that is tropey, you know, Yeah. but it's there for a reason. Yeah. Um, and that yeah. unfortunately is the only real connection we get to her past. Mm-hmm. We get these tangential connections that then, you know, grow throughout the film this is a girl who grew up in this neighborhood. Yeah. We never see somebody pull out a high school yearbook. Right. We never have a neighbor be like, oh, you know, we did this and this. So there's this weird disconnect. We never see where she lives. Right. We never see what type of living she is doing. Mm-hmm. That was another just choice that was a weird disconnect. Yeah. So I, I totally agree with you. Like the setting it up in the beginning being like yep. the mother at the gravestone. But then it is like, but who is she? Mm-hmm. We never see a picture of her from her service in Afghanistan. Right. 
so th- those are just weird things that it would take. We see her jacket, her dossier yeah. of her police pictures to have somebody turn a page, page turn a page, turn show a page me something give me in anything. Afghanistan yeah. and then turn another page where she is she decorated is, what's happened here? Da, yeah. Da, da, da. yeah. Give me very, give me very simple things that would again, potentially endear us yep. more. Yeah. So, but yeah, this is, there is no reason to see this in the theater, but if you do see it in a theater, it is pretty fun to, to hear the crowd because yeah. they had a blast. Yeah. That Just is, like with the intruder. That is true. And there is, I think this is one of the, yeah, you're right, where you get the th- you get the, the full crowd experience. Mm-hmm. That's um, that's something that is always, always appreciated. Yeah. 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 Cool. All right. So next film on the docket mm. is The Current War. The zap. Uh, do you want to roll with this one? Oh, sure. <laughs> Do I? No. But are you going to? Here we are. So this is actually something that's another story near and dear to my heart out Mm -hmm. of the fact that uh, at the turn of the century, electricity, this is a a hard fought battle dealing with Nikola Tesla and Thomas Alva Edison. Those were the two pioneers of the different forms of electricity that we know of today. There's AC current and DC current. DC mm-hmm. current being what your battery operates on, with your, you know, your car battery or the, the battery on your cell phone. That's DC, direct current. There's no ripple to it. AC current, alternating current, that's what Tesla was working with. Uh, and that's what allows us to send voltage and electricity very, very long distances at high voltage. Mm-hmm. Um, going both directions. Going both directions. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you can have a, a hydroelectric dam uh, on the Columbia River powering Seattle, Washington. Hundreds of miles away, we're getting the electricity from the hydroelectric dam. You know, okay, so spoiler on that one. Uh, who wins what war? Because uh, this battle is really between the current war. You know, there was a time when Edison was was really pushing his development, which mm-hmm. was the DC current. And uh, it, this becomes really a battle between Edison and Westinghouse, mm-hmm. and Westinghouse is it Thomas Westinghouse? I think I believe name? so. Yeah, yeah. Thomas Westinghouse, uh, and let's see here. Yes, uh, did I get that right? George, did, did George, George Westinghouse. Right. Michael Shannon, uh, Thomas Edison, right. George Westinghouse, <laughs> Nikola Tesla. So okay, uh, so Michael Shannon's character, George Westinghouse. Mm-hmm is really the guy who's bankrolling a lot yeah. of this decision-making. Industrialist. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, who do I go with? Do I go with Edison? Do I go with this Tesla guy or this this alternating current thing? Um, meanwhile, and actually Tesla is kind of a third player in the mix here. Tesla really wasn't the one who developed AC, right. but he was one that was uh, uh, taking Developing different it. ideas. Right, and mm-hmm. running with that ball. The battle that ensues then is, is okay, are we choosing AC or DC? Uh and meanwhile, Edison has a million other inventions and patents yeah. to his name. So this isn't his only trick, but this mm-hmm. is his the big one that he's really thinking is going to make a million dollars. The guy made a million dollars. And so battle ensues. Mm-hmm. Um, meanwhile, y- yeah, you've got, uh, like I said, I, I think that kind of nut- that's the nutshell on it, it really. It pretty much is because, I mean, this is a story that we've seen in different mm-hmm. movies before. Yeah. You know, the, the Edison-Tesla mm-hmm. This is the first one that I can remember that really gives the Westinghouse angle. Right. Which is interesting because factually, he was the major player in this because you have these two legitimate geniuses in Edison and Tesla. Yeah. Like Tesla's brain, it just... Otherworldly. It truly is crazy, the things that he was able to just think of. And similar to... Well, I guess I always make this comparison. So Steve Jobs... Mm Mm-hmm. 
was a genius. Sure. But what he had was the ability to come up with an idea at three o'clock in the morning, write some yeah. stuff down. Next morning, go to his team of engineers. Sure, sure. And be like, make this make happen. this thing that I thought of because I think it could really work. Yeah. And then they go to work. Yeah. So the flip side of that is Elon Musk. Yep. Elon Musk gets an idea at 3 a.m., writes it down, goes to his it's, lab. Yep. And starts And writing. starts creating it. Yep. Yep. That is just a totally different level. And that was really what Tesla and Edison both were. Yeah. They were these genius level intellects who could imagine these complex systems and start tinkering and yep. start creating it. Yep. Westinghouse in the middle was like, he recognized yeah. the genius of both and was like, yeah. I have a ton of money. I have yeah. an industrialist. I he did the air brakes on, air brakes on the train. train. So he is making all yeah. of the money yep. at this point. And so he it was up to him to really fuel the industry. So that was an interesting yeah. it, it really story for me because yeah, I did not know that. It becomes Westinghouse versus JP Morgan. And right. um and in in many regards, uh, mm-hmm. like JP Morgan Chase, the banker. Yeah. Um, and Though, there was a funny line when they mentioned yeah. uh Morgan is uh, talking to Edison. Yeah. And he was like, I'm not just some bank. And he was like, that's exactly what you, you are. are. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> he, he was. It is, it, yeah. Very true. So, <laughs> and uh, I'm an idea. I, I got ideas too. Oh, sure you do. You know? yeah. yeah. Okay, buddy. <laughs> yeah. Rhymes with General Electric. Yeah. Right. Um, so, nutshell thoughts on this. Mm hmm. These are fantastic characters. Yes. Thomas Edison, Nikola Tesla. Tesla, another one, another film that Tesla has been featured in. Um, the, oh. It's the Christian the, Bale. Yes. Uh, the Illusionist? The Illusionist. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, is it The Illusionist? Yeah, I think that's the one. Or is it the one that came out it's the, the other, same year? <laughs> nope. That, the other one is, it is, it is the other one. The Illusionist was the Paul Giamatti film. The one I'm thinking of is... Uh, oh, the prestige. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. And this speaks to another part of my heart. I used to do magic. Uh, I used to do perform magic for like birthdays and bar mitzvahs. I used to do awesome. this. For, so, so both of those films speak to my heart, mm-hmm. but yeah, only played by David Bowie. Yes. Tesla. And, uh, not too far outside of kind of the stuff that Tesla was dreaming up in many regards. It's kind of wild. They definitely, they do a better yeah. job in the prestige. Yeah. Of showing Tesla's wilder side. Yeah. Of his ideas. In mm-hmm. this movie, we get a much more reserved, or I guess more focused Tesla. Yeah. When he was coming up like, okay, I really think the AC motor can do this, this, this. Yeah. We get a little model of a Tesla yeah. coil, but that was it. Well, actually, that's not even a Tesla coil. That was his transmitter. That was his- Oh, right, that, right, right. So that's- the, the that is that is sort of one of his early models of what was going to be- um, it was the it was, wireless transmission, the wireless transmission gotcha. where you would take AC current and then send it into the atmosphere. And now your radio or your telephone or your television or the light bulbs in your house would all be powered by the ether, mm-hmm. the, the electricity that was in the air, um, which he was working on in his workshops. Mm-hmm. Things would get too hot to touch, though. Yeah. And so, I mean, <laughs> kind of I mean, before before we started recording, we were just talking shop, Adam and I, yeah. and. Talking about just like even today, like terrestrial radio, yeah. AM, FM radio, yeah. certain appliances in your home can yeah. pick up radio waves that yeah. you would never think could just because of yeah. the ether. Because yeah, proximity to the to the actual, like the transmitter. And yeah, the, the story being that uh, one of the AM stations I worked for down in Tacoma, their transmitter's still there. It's out on Brown's Point. Mm-hmm. At, the, at the time, it was KKMO. And uh, they, they, I think they were, they were one of the original... Originally, they were a blowtorch. Now they're not quite that powerful. But 
the the homes that were in and around Brown's Point mm-hmm. had all at one time or another been outfitted with um, RF blocking devices on <laughs> telephones, televisions. But every now and then, like people would call and be like, "Yeah, my toaster's ringing. It's singing." You could hear the radio in the toaster because it would vibrate to the the voltage that was in the air around the transmitter, um, and, and that's a real thing. Yeah. Um, another example, because uh, I do some radio engineering as well. There's there's a there was a transmitter site down on Harbor Island here in Seattle, Washington. Doesn't exist anymore, but the way AM transmitters work, often you have multiple different antennas set up, and they're set up in a precise manner mm-hmm. at different phases because sometimes you have to turn the the power and make the the radio waves go in a direction that's what we call it going directional okay and so in am world sometimes that means you got to put enough power in this antenna stick over here and this antenna stick over here and they are different phases so now the the polarity changes you're not going north and south you're going east and west and that way you don't broadcast into other places at night well I knew some engineers who were working on a transmitter site. Normally, you have to power things down, and they did, but they'd powered things down in the in the one antenna they were at. The other antenna was still powered up, which had to be the case. You couldn't take the t- station completely down, mm-hmm. but that's it was still putting out several thousand watts. It was enough electricity that the antenna that we were standing at was uh, absorbing enough of, of that electricity that when the engineer reached up to touch a wire, um, he got... We call it. He got bit, zapped. He, like he got uh, electrical current kind of punctured through his hand, and uh, burned his palm and kind of out the back. It went in and Jeez. it went out. Um, so it conducted through him. That was RF. That was just electricity that was in the air from the AM station that was you know fifty yards or a hundred yards away from where we were at. So that is real. It does yeah. exist. It's not only do toasters sing, but it can burn you. And this is also yeah. Tesla thinking of this in 1882. Yeah. Before, before radio was even <laughs> yeah. a thing. Like, he was pioneering some of the stuff that Marconi would eventually then get the credit for as far as radio is concerned. But mm-hmm. Tesla was really the guy working on this stuff. Yeah, so. and so we get we get the, the focused Tesla in this mm-hmm. versus Tesla, he, he is a fascinating, yeah. again, character yeah. with this death ray and all these things. Because, again, his brain was such, it was just going all the time. Yeah. We, we don't really get that Tesla kind of becomes a side character yeah. in this movie, which is, is odd. And this movie has had a troubled past. This yeah. premiered at TIFF to 2017 mm-hmm. to very, very mixed reviews, a lot of very bad reviews. Mm-hmm. And the director of this, um, and yeah. I forget his name Who is behind this one because uh, this is Alfonso Gomez Rayon. And he basically said that at the time when Tiff was rolling around, this was when Harvey Weinstein mm. was in control of this film and many, many others. Yeah. Harvey Weinstein was known to make drastic, not himself make drastic edits, make the filmmakers make drastic edits. Tiff is coming up. Alfonso knows the film is not ready. Like he has given interviews since then being like, it is not ready. And Harvey Weinstein was like, get it done. Hmm. So they slapped together a copy showed it at TIFF and Alfonso gave this great interview. I forget where it was, but he was saying sitting in the theater, watching it, he hit rock bottom Yeah, because he hated watching this unfinished work of his, Yeah, which he had no choice. Harvey Weinstein was producing this, giving him all the money. Yeah. And so he had to do it. So, which is why fast forward two, two years. years later, we now get the current war director's cut. Yeah. 
which they had to also change the name a little bit for legal reasons. That way, certain people do not get profits from it. Sure, sure. Which is awesome. Yeah. Harvey Weinstein should not get profits yeah. from anything. No. So a new distribution company was formed, and this is their first release. Oh, I feel bad for him. <laughs> I mean, I- I'm happy that Alfonso got to make his film. Because, again, like from a filmmaker, watching your art mm-hmm. just get massacred and knowing that you wanted to do something different sucks. So in this version, he added about 10 minutes from mm. what I read. Mm. He added more Tesla scenes, which the fact that he added more. If, more, if there were less. Yikes. Uh, that's anemic. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we also get Tom Holland in this yeah. as the assistant mm-hmm. uh, to Edison. Tom Holland, this is, I mean, this premiered at TIFF in 2017, which means it's finished filming probably 2016. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty he, young Tom Holland. He Holland. looks very yeah. young. Babyface, yeah. In this, and he's supposed to be Edison's, not just assistant, but like an inventor as well. Yeah. He gets a promotion as this film goes on. It was like, how old is this person that he yeah. is supposed to be? Right. So and it is weird. All of these characters that we get who are playing borderline larger than life, real people are so subdued Mm -hmm. and so uninteresting when we know how interesting their lives really were. Yeah. That, my take was it, you know, these are electric, this is a film about electricity and electrical characters and electric, you know, it should be sparking. It should be flashy. And it's the flattest damn thing I've seen. Yeah. We get Michael Shannon, who is incredible. Right. Especially when he can switch gears so mm-hmm. quickly, mm-hmm. we see it in Shape of Water. <laughs> yeah. Where he can be, quote unquote, normal, and then he gives you a look. Yeah. He gives you just a body shift because he is a giant man. Yeah. When we see him standing next to Benedict Cumberbatch in this, I'm like, good oh, God, how big is this guy? Big man. Yeah. And in this, he is not allowed to do any of that. Yeah. And that just like, that is just a waste of talent. Yeah. Well, and... Benedict Cumberbatch also being one of those that easy to get wound up and, you know, both known for giving these, you know, performances that can Mm -hmm. be quite dynamic. And yet, you know, and and Edison was known for being one with the temper. We see Mm. him get a little fiery here, but I don't think, you know, not to the, not to the extent that we're, I'd say, whoa, jeez, don't get on the back end of that equation. Right. You know, this is, mm, Yeah. I, I felt it to be incredibly just painfully flat. And uh, yeah. uh, one of the first notes I wrote down was meandering. Yeah. And the other two thoughts that I had from this were I really appreciated the visuals. Sure. I think it's it the film looks beautiful. Uh if if looks were all that mattered, that would, you know, hey, this thing this thing this, this it's killing. It's great. Mm-hmm. It's doing a great job. Uh and sort of the historical looks of Chicago and some of the yeah. things that they're able to costume create. design, art direction. Yep. Great. All looks great. Um so yay. <laughs> the unfortunate factor also that remains, yeah, what was there's the second thought that I had on this. Uh art direction looking great. Mm-hmm. It's flat. Come on now. It'll take me a second. This one this one's like it's it's rattling around there because I haven't even written this out yet, unfortunately. Mm. Um it just is, it is no. sad to see talented people in a movie that felt like they were being held back. Yeah. That at almost every turn, be it Nicholas Holt as Tesla, again, just, I could feel that like there was something maybe about to break through, nothing. Yeah. 
the women in this movie, they show more of emotion. There is some range there, but not enough. Not, not enough to, again, to make it matter. (laughs) Yeah. It, it just, yeah. Oh, that was the other thing. Hmm. So meandering, you were saying? Yes. <laughs> at uh, I'm reading here, one hour and 47 minutes. Oof. This, unfortunately, to me, felt like nine hours this and 47 was, minutes. Yeah, this felt long. We came out of the movie, and Adam looks at his watch, and he was like, wow. Yeah. I mean, because it, th- th- yeah, this feels like an over two-hour movie. It really, it, it's moving. And, and, which is not uncommon in this day and age. True. Where we'll sit through something, and it's, oh, it's, hey, we've been in it for three hours. I was thinking this was going to be much closer to that. And, yeah. oh. Fooled me. So yeah, under two, and that is with an added ten minutes. Yeah. So again, I just I cannot help but feel bad mm-hmm. for for the director and for everybody involved because again, when you put your soul into a movie and then it gets panned and then two years later, it finally gets released while still having some of that stink on it, mm-hmm. and then we come out with this, and yikes. Yeah. No. So keep swinging the axe. Don't give up. Congratulations. You got this done. Exactly. Like we talked about before, you did it. You you made, and not just you made a film, you premiered a film. This is your film. This is the vision that Alfonso wanted to put out there. He likes this version. Good for you. You made a thing. Yeah. You got the brass Uh, ring, man. You did it. You reached. You got it. Yeah. Get the next brass ring. Pretty much. Yeah. Uh, So where do you, where do you fall on this? Good, bad, or ugly? Sadly, uh, I'm going to put this in the ugly pile and, and purely out of the fact that I think there are ways to tell all of this much more dynamically and as beautiful as it is, I, I, I would hesitate to shell out any entertainment dollar for this. Unfortunately, it's, it's gotta go. Yeah. And similar to the lighthouse in that I'm not sure who to recommend that to Mm -hmm. because it is challenging. This I do not know who to recommend this to because I cannot recommend this to my friends who really admire Tesla because mm-hmm. he is barely in it. I cannot recommend this to people who want to see more of that current war between Tesla and Edison because that was not really there. Mm-hmm. I just I don't know what to do with this movie. So, I mean, yeah, you, you and I are three for three. Yeah. Uh, I give this an ugly also because I just what it really comes down to is this movie meant nothing. Mm-hmm. It was interesting for me to see the Westinghouse part because that was part of history that I just did not right. know. My favorite part of this film, and anybody who listens to my show knows with biopics, this is usually my favorite, the last three minutes when it shows real pictures and it gives a little like two sentence per character, you know, epilogue of yeah. them. I liked that. But then I was like, wait, this is who that was? Like, there was just such a disconnect though. Yeah. But it was weird. And we kind of get an answer to who won the current war, mm-hmm. but then the epilogue flips it the other way. Right, right. And kind of rubs it in the other person's face. And it was like, wait. Yeah. What? Well, like that. <laughs> I mean, and this is, I mean, this is a lot, a lot of this is common knowledge that Tesla actually was kind of, even for all of his advances, he, he was actually disappearing in history. Like people yeah. were forgetting about who this guy was. Uh, so, and that, that the fact that, here's another example from that same era, Harry Houdini is, yeah. the, is the magician that people remember. Harry Houdini, the escapist, Harry mm-hmm. Houdini, Harry Houdini, Harry, even to this day, like magicians, oh, Houdini, Houdini award is, you know, great way, right. way to go. But 
Houdini, and I'll, I'll just say this, Houdini was a hack. Ooh. Houdini. Shots fired. <laughs> and, and I think anybody who's read up on him would, would, would agree with me. Yeah, he did some things and great. Okay, he was good at his escapes. But what Harry Houdini, Eric Weiss, was really trying to put forward was that he was a magician. And so he bought illusions. He did these things. But no, the real magicians were the Howard Thurston's of the world and the, the Blackstones of the world. And hmm. there were other, the, the Davenport brothers. I mean, there were other magicians of that era who put out shows and put on shows that were fantastic, like hmm. stuff that we could only dream of to this day. You know, I mean, there's the Chris Angels and the the other guys down in Vegas <laughs> right. who were putting on stuff. But back then, yeah, when you saw these magicians and they were doing this stuff, by gosh, it, it was it was real in many mm-hmm. regards. And uh, Houdini just happened to be the best at marketing. I was going to say a lot of a lot right. of it back then. You can look through history yep. at a lot of different people. Yep. The person with the best PR wins. And that's and that's what it came down to with Edison. And so Edison gets the Edison oh, yeah. Award and Edison gets this and Edison gets that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. uh but you know, hey, Tesla's got a car now, but completely exactly. <laughs> but it is actually loosely based on some of it, his technology. It absolutely is. And so, again, Elon Musk yeah. recognized the genius as a fellow genius and be like, yeah. Okay, yeah. you know, how can I make this work? And yeah. so I liked that epilogue, the, I guess, the final epilogue, not mm-hmm. the kind of stab it's, in the yeah. back epilogue, which, again, was just weird. Um, because, yeah, I mean, the thing that Edison, that I did not really know, that he gets credited for is basically creating movies, creating the technology yeah. that would then become movies. Yeah, That is incredible. Like, I mean, I had known of a, not cinescope, uh, like where you put the nickel in and you turn the crank. Like, oh, right, yeah. Is that a cinescope? Uh, well, is that the one where like there's the cards that fall forward? Yeah. There's there's that, and there's also a there'll be a film out coming about this soon. I feel the disc where you put a pencil in the middle and you'd spin it and you look through the little slot in the mirror and you could see like the motion. Yeah, the motion of like the horse jumping or whatever. Yeah, it's like I I have seen some of those and everything, and I find that fascinating. But the fact that Edison developed camera technology when again yeah nobody was thinking about that like i just wish that there was just some of that meat in this film and so there was not and i am going to eject this yeah probably after i finish editing this episode yeah yeah. (laughs) and i was waiting for this film this was something i was on um somebody else's podcast one of our fellow critics uh, aaron white on his feeling film podcast two years ago this was after TIFF, and I was like, I cannot wait for this movie. Right. I love this story, and now I finally got it, and yikes. Isn't that such a bummer, Son? Some yeah. of these films where we see the we see like the initial photos, or we see something that looks, yeah. oh man, I'm the so cast, excited about this. Yeah. And, yeah. and then, it's, <laughs> it's, I don't, I don't know which is worse in that yeah. case, you know? It's like, Things that I've been really disappointed with mm-hmm. along the way. There have been a few of them. This is one of them. I because yeah. I haven't been tracking it along as you as you have, uh, but I, I too was just air out of the balloon. Man. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Cool. All right. So quick wrap up. So the lighthouse. Two very enthusiastic goods. It is a very challenging film, but it is worth the challenge. Yes. Uh, Black and blue uh, gave a bad two because it just. It is it is so derivative and everybody is a trope and the last five minutes just nearly mm-hmm. ruined everything. Uh, and then the current war, director's cut, uh, gets an ugly because it is just there and yeah. does not really do anything. 
So there you go. Uh, Adam, where can people find you online and what things do you have coming up? Easy enough. Uh, you can find me at adamgerke.com. You can also find me on Facebook at the Adam Gerke. No, wait, that's Instagram. Yeah, I'm on Instagram at the Adam Gerke. Mm-hmm. Facebook, you know what? I would just, here's what I would do I would go to Google. And I would just type in Adam, Seattle, and traffic. And you're going to find everything right there. Mm -hmm. You don't even have to learn to spell my name. Uh, And that brings you to all the different Facebook places, the Insta this, the tweets that, the Twitter that. It's all right there. And uh, and, uh, thank you, Google, for all of that, making it so much easier. (laughs) Right. Uh, uh, Because, yes, while traffic is what I I have hung the hat on, it is not all that I do. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, uh, And it's something that I always like to kind of put out there. So it's it's what I do, but it's not who I am. So, Fantastic. Yeah. And then Cinema Squabble. Yeah. Uh, next podcast potentially we'll be putting that together, I think, next week. Uh, and we try, now that we're heading into, into the, uh, the the actual like season of yeah. everything <laughs> uh, leading up to awards, we try and go every other week on that. Um, and that's uh, sometimes featuring you, John, uh, mm-hmm. along with Sarah Michelle Fetters, uh, who you often hear with the Seattle Gay News, uh, Steve Reeder, uh, mm-hmm. another regular contributor, uh, Tim Hall. We've had uh, Kathy Fennessy from The Stranger yeah. on a number of times. I mean, so we, we try and rotate through, similar to you, we try and get the, uh, a real taste of uh, the Seattle critic scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, the idea behind Cinema Squabble began because when we sit in the theaters every practically day I was gonna now, say you know especially coming up in award season yeah. we are in the theaters yeah. three to four times a week yeah and so I mean there there is a row that is dedicated for us mm-hmm. and that conversation that happens uh, it was kind of like wow this is this is good material that we're coming up with here yeah we should we should bottle this somehow mm-hmm. sure so that's where this all came from so um, uh, it, it's a rotating cavalcade and, yeah uh, and and the fun continues so uh, those are the main outlets and platforms um, and then other projects Boy, I tell you, between screenwriting and, and trying to make music and what have you, uh, there's there's all sorts of things. There's always something in the works. So Fantastic. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so all of those links will be in the show notes below. And then before we leave, I will have to say that you, Mr. Adam Gerke, uh-huh. are one of the reasons that this very podcast exists. Woo! So it was over three years ago Yeah. when I was first kind of in the film critic world and dipping my toe in it and our mutual friend, Tim Hall, yeah, uh, the people's critic, you know, I would always be talking to him. And I've told this story before where it was almost two years when I'd be talking to Tim being like, you know, I have this idea do a podcast, blah, blah. And he was like, okay, then do it. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, yeah, cool. But I have this idea. And he was like, just do it. Yeah. And it finally, you know, started to manifest. But one of the earliest conversations I had with somebody about this was you. Oh, wow. And it was when, I have no idea what movie we were seeing, but I was talking to Tim about it at the theater. Yeah. And he was like, you need to talk to Adam. Yeah. And I was like, I was like, should I? And he was like, yeah. And so he introduced us at the theater. And so I started talking to you about microphones and headphones and all of these things. And now here we are, 167 episodes later. But yeah, you were one of the true kind of reasons that this exists. Oh man, that's fantastic. I, I, I'm, I'm really pleased to hear that. And I'm, I'm glad that it's been a positive effect because, you know, so many times when, when people do come and they do ask, Hey, I want to get into voiceovers or I want to do this or I want to do that. And you never really know, you Mm -hmm. never know how it turns out. And I have to say, it's been, it's been fun watching you go through the process and the learning and all that's involved too. Uh, because, you know, I remember it was very early on, like, you you struck podcast gold 
when uh, like your ratings just went like straight through the roof. It was like everyone went, holy crap. Who, what? Huh? What? Wow. Holy smokes. Look at this guy. And and you took it. And you embraced it. And it's been fantastic to watch it happen. So, you know, to to really do it and run with it. Uh, you're you are you are the example from it of which when, you know, I've had bosses say to me years ago, I wanted to do in radio, I wanted to do a morning show. And uh, I, I never pursued that. But the, my boss said to me, well, the and he looked out his window and he pointed to Mount Rainier. He goes, I hear the best way to climb Mount Rainier is just to start going in that direction. And I was like, yeah. point, point well taken. Just just go. Just yeah. do it. You did it, man. That's awesome. So Thank you. to you, you grabbed the brass ring. Congratulations. I, I did. So. And it, it truly, I mean, and yeah, we were talking before we started recording just, you know, about yeah. other things. And it just, yeah. And so I just, I wanted to make sure to, you know, tell you that. I'm not sure if I have told you that story before, but since oh, we man. are, we're live on, on the air, just, yeah. So you were an inspiration then and just with your kind of wisdom and positive uh, energy. So yeah, thank you for, awesome. for all of that. Wow. Well, and keep doing it, man. Keep doing it. Yeah. Don't, 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 uh, don't stop now. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I did take off, you know, a couple, three months there yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> for some reasons, but, but, that, that's, but now that, like that. since getting, you know, healthier and mm -hmm. back into it, like it just, yeah. I mean, it is that creative outlet that we talked about. It is that yeah. control mm -hmm. where it is like, this is my thing. I can do whatever I want, have on whoever I want, talk about whatever I want. Yeah. And that is empowering. So it's, it's a must. Uh, and, and I encourage everybody to do something. Yeah. Uh, and if it's not podcasting, pick up a pencil. You may not ever be a great artist, but at least try. Yeah. Do something. Don't be boring. That's yeah. the most important thing. Absolutely. Yeah. Cool. So yeah, all of Adam's links will be in the description below. Uh, yeah, for this podcast, uh, upcoming episode will be No Shame November, uh, my annual episode. Ah. Uh, I'm not sure exactly who's going to be a guest on it. Yeah, but that is always one of my favorite episodes that we do every year. Uh, and yeah, you can find the podcast at About to Review, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube.com slash About to Review. About to Review.com has full links to the show notes and guests, including Adam. Woo. And yeah, that about wraps it up for this week's episode. So thank you once again, Adam, for being here. Hey, thank you for having, thank you for having me here. I mean, this has been great. It's been fun. Awesome. And thank you, everybody, for listening. And we will see you next time. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat.